and Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty is back at the top of the hour to 6 o'clock hour here on 89.1 WYBF FM Cavalier Radio. Our special show, our top 25 plays of the Philadelphia sports of the past decade. Ty, so far so good as we are now on number 15. For those who missed our last segment, we ended with our 16th play of Cole Hamels getting a no-hitter for a, for against the Chicago Bears. As Chicago his, Cubs. Yeah, my fault. Chicago Cubs, my bad, guys. And marking his last start as a Philadelphia Phillies player. Now, the reason why I got into the Chicago Bears is for this next game. Obviously, they didn't go against the Chicago Bears, but they went up against the Detroit Lions. In 2013, Chip Kelly's first season as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, it went very well. The Eagles went 10-6. and six. They would end up losing to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I'll never forget that Darren Sproles kickoff return that set up that game-winning field goal. But for those who do not remember, the Snow Bowl in 2013, I remember this because I, I, I used to do baseball workouts, and it was coming down. And I still had my baseball workout in the winter. And as and second I came home, that's when the Eagles game came on. LaShawn McCoy ran for over 200 yards in that game, had one of the most memorable performances ever by an Eagles running back. And he had over 1,600 yards that year, leading the league in rushing. LaShawn McCoy, Shady McCoy, in this famous Snow Bowl of 2013, the Eagles defeated the Detroit Lions. What do you remember about that game, Ty? I remember that it was... It was so hard to see on TV. Uh, the snow was coming down. Um, actually, a funny story about this game. So my priest at my church at home, and uh, I went to a Catholic high school, so he was the priest at my school as well. He was a uh, season ticket holder at the time, went to every game, and he said that was uh, always one of his favorite games that he's ever been to. He said that they uh, they got yelled at because him and some guys that he that he knew just from going to the games, they were they were having so much fun. They were throwing snowballs at each other, and security yelled at them. So I always thought I always thought that was funny. Um, I just loved how how Shady would do that little move where he almost like just went side to side, little mm-hmm. shake and bake, uh, and guys would be falling over in the snow. Uh, that that one time that that Megatron dove and he came up with a face mask <laughs> full of snow. It was just that game was a lot of fun. It was really funny. A lot of lot of interesting moments there. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie to you. The Lions, they seem like they're always that one team that has our number. Um, even this year, like, we lost to them. Like, what, the years with Matthew Stafford and Megatron, I never forget uh, Chip Ke- one of Chip Kelly's years. I think the year he got fired, like, we gave up, like, 45 points to the Lions in Detroit. The Lions have always had our number for some for some weird reason over this past decade, but not that game. That game was memorable, the Snow Bowl of 20, 2013. And that same year, Nick Foles, for number our 14th play of the decade, Nick Foles torches the Raiders with seven passing touchdowns, and and he ended up going 27 touchdowns and just two interceptions in 2013. And Nick Foles really had one of the best seasons ever from a quarterback uh, from the quarterback positions, he absolutely torched the Raiders that year. Chip Kelly's offense was clicking on all cylinders. And a lot, there was a lot of questions because Nick Foles couldn't run like Mike Vick. Um, uh, Michael Vick had a great beginning of the year, um, but he went down due to injury, and Nick Foles just stepped in and just lit up teams. 
And that really started the magic of Nick Foles and his incredible NFL career. He, he should definitely write a book for his career out, uh, how the ups and the lows and the ups and the lows. Like he's, he just got benched last week by Miss You. Yeah. So this game, that was a fun one. One of the touchdowns probably should have been a pick, but it like bounced off the cornerback. And I think Deshaun Jackson caught it for a touchdown. But, you know, it went in the scorebook as a touchdown. So I guess that's all that matters. But that was a fun game. Foles uh, that year was a lot of fun. The 27 and what was it? 27 and two years. Yes. Uh, he he was good. He was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely was good. Definitely was an MVP candidate that year. He did not win it. But um, I mean, I, I wish that the year would have ended better. Obviously, the Eagles, the Saints came into Philadelphia and Beat the Eagles on Darren Sproles' memorable kickoff return that set up the game-winning field goal. Nick Foles did put the Eagles ahead with one minute left. And Drew Brees hit the game-winning field goal. But then that year was the same year that the Saints lost that historic game to the 49ers. Remember when the 49ers had that memorable catch, Vernon Davis? They called yeah. it the catch, too. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that, that shows you right there the memorable plays of this past decade. Um, and then that leads perfectly to our number 13 play. The Eagles playoff run 2017, the first game against the Atlanta Falcons. And I just it just seemed like we had all the lucky bounces that game. Nick Foles throws, throws a ball off of a defender's knee, goes right into the hands of our receiver. We end up kicking a field goal, I believe, to end the first half. But it doesn't get any better than this. Eagles up 15 to 10. Fourth and goal, 2017 divisional round. The lob to Julio. Julio Jones that year was 1-11 in catches like that, make or break catches. Um, with the game on the line, Julio Jones for his career, well, obviously he killed us this year. So, But before that catch against us, he was 1-11 and just could not make that key touchdown grab. And that's just been the that's story of his career. He's a, obviously been a top five NFL receiver over the past decade, but he does not get a lot of receiving touchdowns. And for as big of a body he is, he should be getting 10 touchdowns a year, Ty. But he really struggles with those red zone catches. Mills did get away with a little bit of a hand, uh, legal contact, some grabbing. Looked good to me. But, yeah, it looked good to me, too. Definitely a good no call. Both players going at it, game on the line. Doesn't get any better than that. And we all know the story. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles would end up winning the Super Bowl, their first Super Bowl in franchise history. Ty, what do, what, what do you remember from that game? I remember from that game being scared they were going to lose. Not going to lie. I thought I thought they were going to lose. But Jalen Mills, always been my guy. I, I know the secondary was pretty bad against the Dolphins, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, they got it done. They Because even if Julio would have caught the ball and went through his hands, he was going to be out of bounds because Mills, you know, forced him out because he played good defense there. Yeah, uh, yeah that yeah. game, that game was crazy. That they got a lot of, they did get some lucky bounces off the knee. They had, they had that punt that they just, they barely tipped, I believe, uh, as well. So they, they made some plays. Things went their way, and that was a, a huge moment and sparked, you know, an incredible run. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And then, he, and then even after we win the Super Bowl, we play the Falcons again as the rematch of that game, and we won the same exact score in the same exact way, 15-10. to 10. 
And that really started the end of the Falcons dominance because the year before they, they lost in that historic Super Bowl to Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Something, something you can't forget about the 2017 or yeah, the divisional round game there. That was when they, uh, it's when Lane Johnson, you know, uh, Chris Long, it's when they pulled out the dog mass after the game as well. That kind of sparked their identity there. Um, for better or worse, it seems like they can't play good football unless somebody's spiting them as not being good enough and they have to play this underdog role for some reason. But that was certainly a lot of fun uh, to see them pull those masks out because a lot of people said that they they were cooked. They were not going to win without Wentz, and everybody knows what they did. So that was a, that was a really great start to that postseason. And we have another Eagles play. We have a lot of Eagles plays in this next five plays. I know Flyer fans are looking like, where are we going? Don't worry, Flyers fans. We'll get to you guys in a little bit because you obviously you guys had way more memorable runs in that 2010 postseason run. So for all sure. my hockey fans, stay, stay, stick around for that. But number 12, you got to go back to 2010. This was the last year the Eagles made the postseason with Andy Reid. Uh, it was 2010. And Michael Vick, there was talks about Michael Vick was coming back from his jail time uh, with uh, his abuse with dogs. Um, he was coming back. A lot of people were like, why did we sign this guy? Like, yeah, he's, he doesn't have it left. And um, the Eagles took on a very good Redskins team that had playoff, that had postseason aspirations in the start of the season. And first play, 2010 season, Michael Vick throws an 80-yard bomb. To Deshaun Jackson. And when I tell you it was a bomb, he threw it 70 yards in the air. Probably something like that. It and, was a, it, that was a bomb. And, and that was really the statement game that really got the Eagles going for their playoff run. Obviously, they would lose to the Packers. And the Packers were the sixth seed that year. The Eagles were the three seed. And the Packers would end up winning that Super Bowl. Um, and the Eagles had a lot of talks about, oh, man, the last time we've played against teams, they've won the Super Bowl in the postseason because the year prior we took on the Cardinals, they made the Super Bowl. And then I believe in 09, I forget who we played on 09, but the Eagles had like a little run that way where teams that were beating them in the postseason would end up going to the big game. Um, but that was really a good year for Andy Reid. And there's obviously some other plays in that year as well that we'll get to in 2010, 2010. 2010 overall was a good, solid year for Philly sports. Just no championships. That's what hurts. You had the Eagles make the playoffs. Um, you had the Flyers make the Stanley Cup final. The Phillies with Roy Holiday, they make it to the NLCS. So those three teams had a great run in 2010. And it's great that we can have 2010 plays on here. Would you like to do the next one, Ty? Yeah. Give me one second. Um, number 11. Number 11. Here we got Joel Embiid's first career game versus the Thunder. Uh, this one, I alluded to it earlier. This was a big one. Definitely a, a huge game for Philadelphia sports. Joel the Process Embiid made his, his debut after missing two straight seasons due to injury. Uh, it seemed like it might never come, and it finally did on the first night of that 16-17 season. Embiid in the first quarter got his first bucket on a turnaround jumper over Steven Adams, and everybody went insane. And he was almost immediately pumping up the crowd, telling people that Steven Adams couldn't guard him. 
It, it was crazy. They ended up losing that game. Uh, that was also the game where that fan gave uh, Russell Westbrook the double middle fingers, which was really funny, and he got thrown out for that. But they, they narrowly lost that game. They were in it for most of it. But Embiid, in just 22 minutes, had 20 points. Uh, he showed everybody how good he was going to be after it felt like for two seasons maybe that would never come. So that was the start of something really huge. That was awesome. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, that game was great, um, and it really started a Sixers-Thunder rivalry um, uh, for the years coming. Like, you have that classic 3 OT game with Westbrook and the Thunder beating the Sixers in three overtimes. Like, that, that really started a good spark because and you got— then, yeah. And then after that, Embiid had that monster dunk over Westbrook. Oh, yeah. And got back in his face and started talking a little bit. But Westbrook and Embiid don't like each other. I think that's great. Well, yeah, there are two fierce competitors going at it. Um, and, and that's how basketball should be. You have two competitors going right at it. Um, it doesn't get any better than that. But this concludes our next five plays of this of the Philadelphia sports uh, decade. We have ten more plays left to go. Our top ten Flyers fans, Philly fans, Sixers fans, and Eagles fans. Stay tuned because we have these next ten plays are very mo- memorable in recent Philadelphia sports memory. But you guys listen to Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty on eighty nine point one WYBF FM Cavalier Radio. We will be right back. And Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty is back. And man, we have our top 25 Philly plays of the decade. And I'm excited. I'm ready to get right to it, Ty, with number 20. January 2017, for those who do not remember this time, the Sixers, it was Embiid's rookie season, and the Philadelphia 76ers had three historically awful seasons, winning 10 games in 2015, going 10 and 72. But the Sixers started to turn the corner and go on their playoff run as the team that they are now. Um, going 10-5 and five in the month of January, beating the Toronto Raptors, Portland Trailblazers, Clippers, and I'll never forget Robert Covington's um, big three-pointer against Portland. And also... Over I, Evan Turner, yeah. And I believe TJ McConnell... Had the game-winner against the Knicks. Yes. So that month of January, the Sixers went 10-5 and five and showed you guys that the process was starting to turn to the right corner. Ty, what was your biggest game out of the 2017 Sixers January month. Um, yeah, the, one of the big games from that one was, I remember Covington had the game winner against the Timberwolves uh, where Dario had an inbounds pass and he lobbed it up to Covington who laid it off the glass and uh, uh, while he was in the air. And it, it, Covington up to that point was playing really poorly and he got booed a lot. And that started to turn a corner for him as well. He started to play a lot better. And then later in the, like we said, he hit the, the game winner against Portland. He, he brought them within one or two earlier in that game as well, hit a big three, and then he came back, hit the game winner over Evan Turner. Um, so that game was a, a good turning point for them. Uh, an, another game that uh, really stuck out to me 
was that Raptors game. They, um, Dario had two huge blocks like consecutively in that game. Uh, one was Jared Sollinger, and he he just stuffed him. <laughs> and then at the end of the game, Kyle Lowry had the ball. Uh, Covington blocked him, and Bede gets the rebound. Lowry barrels into his legs, and Bede falls down, gets the foul call, and they came away with the win. So that was that was really fun. That was that was a really really fun month. They got a couple wins even without Embiid because he was injured a bunch. Uh, and that was when he was on minutes restrictions and he wasn't allowed <laughs> to play back-to-back. So that seems like forever ago. How about it? Like That oh, that was a world we lived in where Joel Embiid, he wasn't allowed to play over 25 minutes or whatever it was. He was supposed to stay around 20 minutes per game. And it, it was a... You, you could see that good things were happening. Everybody was hoping Ben Simmons would come around. He didn't end up playing that year, but he did post a lot of pictures of his cat online. Everybody, after a win, would say, raise the cat. That was, that was fun. Uh, that, was, that was a fun month. It was a fun year overall, too. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a fun year because, like, yes, we may not have made the playoffs, but we got to taste a little bit of what our future was like. And, again, not having Ben Simmons – for that whole season, because remember, like as we're as he was about to play, he broke his foot, the same injury Zaire Smith had, uh, two years, uh, literally last year, and the Sixers just continue to have like their injury plagues with their number one picks. Rookie curse. Yes, and I'm not gonna lie to you. I know we're gonna get a little sidetracked, but we'll, we'll get right back to the plays. Um, how about Markel Fultz last night? Twenty, 20 points. points. Yes. Good for him. Yes, good for him. About time he's starting to solidify, starting to play like a number one pick. Um, he does have a long way to go, though. I'm not gonna for lie. sure, for sure. All right, at number nineteen, Ty, would you like to do the honors for this one? Yeah, let's do it. So, 2014 Phillies were not very good. This was uh, kind of when they realized they needed to rebuild. They sold off some pieces. Uh, they kept some others, but the 2014 Phillies. Although they weren't the greatest team, they did have some moments, uh, including this one. Jimmy Rollins, he broke the franchise record uh, for hits in a career as a Philly. Uh, That happened with, he had a single to right field for number 2,235. Rounded first base uh, on a day game. I remember they were wearing the cream uniforms and then Mike Schmidt came out to greet him uh, as Rollins broke Mike Schmidt's record. They embraced there. That was a really good moment uh, that, to kind of see J-Roll do that. Although that that core, their time was pretty much up as the greatest team in Philly's history. Um, it was good to see that uh, kind of the last great era of Philly's baseball, 1980, uh, They Mike Schmidt got to pass the torch on to uh, kind of the, the leader of that, that next core. Although... Utley was probably the best player. Howard was um, an MVP as well. I think that Jimmy Rollins set the tone for that team in 2007 when he said that they were the team to beat, and then he followed it up with an MVP-type season, with literally the National League MVP. Uh, so I'd say he was their lead, their outspoken leader, and he was the guy that uh, he was kind of like their guy, if that makes sense. So it was cool to see a moment like that with him becoming the franchise leader in hits. Now, here's my question with you about Jimmy Rollins. Um, I think out of all the Phillies players, I think Cole, him, and Howard have the best chances 
of making the Hall of Fame. I would put Colin Rollins ahead of Howard only because Rollins set the franchise hit record in Philly's history, and history has shown you in MLB baseball, uh, usually the people that have the most hits in your franchise are Hall of Famers. Um, just to throw that set out there, I know he's nowhere close to 3,000 hits. I know he didn't even get 2,500 hits, but winning that MVP in 07, I believe he was like one of four or five players ever to get 20 triples, 20 doubles, 20 home runs, and obviously more than 20 singles in a season. And, and steals. And still, yeah, and steals. So, like, he was in rare company that year. And you're right. Like, he was the heart and soul of the Phillies team. He really got us going. Um, I, I believe he was, like, top, he was in the top 10 at least in leadoff home runs. Yeah. Um, especially by a shortstop. Um, he really changed the game in terms of the leadoff man having a little bit more pop instead of being a speedy guy that only gets, like, two homer, two homers a season. Yeah. But Ty, where, where do you think Rollins has a shot at the Hall of Fame? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say he, my here are my rankings for I I don't think Howard gets in because <laughs> although his peak was very good, it was very very short, uh, and he was like really bad for nearly half of his career, which is unfortunate. But that's how it ended up. I still think Utley has the greatest shot because I think how people are voting is changing. And I think a lot of the newer voters are looking at at peaks. And I think Chase Utley's peak, his seven best seasons, were some of the seven best seasons that a second baseman has ever put up. So I'd say Utley still has the best shot of making it. I'd put Cole Hamels right behind him. Uh, depending how he ages, I think Hamels has a shot. And then I'd put Rollins with... Rollins has an outside chance, I think, one day when he... I think he misses out on the writer's ballot, but maybe the veterans committee, the his fellow players, I think his fellow players could say this guy's a Hall of Famer and put him in one day. Yeah, because they were comparing his stats to Ozzy um Ozzy uh Smith. Yeah, Ozzy Smith in, in St. Louis, and they're identical. Um Ozzy Smith Ozzie does, Smith was yeah. a better fielder, yeah, but yeah, hitting was, wise, yeah. Yeah, hitting wise they're the same. And I mean Rollins Rollins is his some of his numbers are also similar to Barry Larkin as well, who's in the Hall of Fame with the Reds. So I, there's a case for Rollins, for sure. Yeah, so I, I know as we talk about Jimmy Rollins, I always wanted to talk about that because the core of the Phillies, it's a very interesting debate because none of those guys are even close to 3,000 hits. None of those guys are even close to 400 or five, 500 home runs. Howard has the most with over 300. Like, if you would think about it, it's just like based off of stats, like a lot of, like Utley, based off of his stats, are not even close, but when you look at, again, like you said, like his seven-year peak and him hitting five home runs in the World Series in 09, like he has given us like the big moments. You can also think of Rollins' walk-off hit in 09. I know we'll get to that in a little bit. No, we kidded with that. We did not because it's the decade. My fault. That was 20. That was 20. That was 2009. That's why I was like a little nervous if I could get into that. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a good debate to have. And all every Philly, Philly fan that's listening to this, that has seen this core, I believe they, they believe that Rollins should be a Hall of Famer, but we'll just wait and see. Yep. Uh, Ty, I'll also let you do these next two as well. So number 18. Number 18, we have Jimmy Butler's game winners against uh, the Hornets and the Nets, both coming on the road in Charlotte and in Brooklyn. So last season, of course, the Sixers in November traded Dario Saric, uh, Dario Saric, 
Robert Covington and Jared Bayless for Justin Patton and Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, not even two weeks into Butler's tenure here in Philadelphia, he made a huge block against the Hornets in crunch time and followed it up with an overtime game winner, uh, stepping to his right three-pointer, similar to the Kyrie Irving shot against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Butler hit that shot, gave the Sixers the victory. Uh, even though Kemba dropped 60 on Jimmy's head, uh, Butler got them the win in the guts of the game. And then only eight days after that, same shot. They're, they're tied in Brooklyn, and Butler does the same thing, buries it. He gives them the lead, gives them the game. Uh, that was bit, very big, very cool to see from somebody they just traded. They, they wanted him for kind of his clutchness that he provides at the end of the games, and he didn't disappoint there. Yes, that's one thing I will say about Butler. He did not disappoint in the clutch. Like, whenever we needed a big basket, he would show up. Except he, in Game 7 where he had two shot clock violations, but I, I won't get into that. Yeah, I know, but even even if, even if I know you can go there, but also even in Game 7, how about that steal? He got the steal in the layup. And, right. and the layup to tie the game. And I know no one will talk about that because of what happened with Kawhi Leonard's four bounces around the rim, but... Butler has shown up in big moments and that really he really was the Sixers closer. Now, obviously, we know this year it's going to be a mixture between Harris and Bede, um, Richardson, maybe even Simmons. If he Cork decides Moss. to shoot. Yeah, even Corkmaz. Corkmaz had a moment. So that was really the stepping stone for the Sixers last season. They finally got that big name um, free agent superstar. They finally got him. I know obviously we ended up not he ended up not staying um, but he was one of the reasons why Harris came and the Sixers really had something rolling. I'll never forget that Lakers game when we saw this, that Sixers starting five with Butler, Harris, Embiid, and Simmons. They showed you how, like, their full potential against that Lakers game, putting up over 140 points against LeBron. Um, I'll, I will never forget that game. That showed that was the Sixers playing at their 100% best. It's It sucks to say that where Kawhi Leonard shot from making a very interesting in overtime. But the Sixers showed their full potential with that beatdown in in, uh, in, uh, in Philly against the Lakers. Now, Ty, number 17. And this one, I think a lot of fans are going to think this is going to be a little bit low. Maybe a little low, but we got a lot of moments from this very season and even this same playoff run. But we have Zach Ertz's touchdown in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Eagles, Eagles, they just went down, actually. Got a little bit scary for, for the birds in the big game there. But Zach Ertz caught a pass, took a took two steps, dove towards the end zone. <clears throat> Excuse me, broke the plane. Ball popped out. He recaught it. That didn't matter. He broke the plane. Uh, it was a catch. They reviewed it after a very long review. Gene Steratore, the referee of that championship game, came out. Let everybody know they confirmed it a touchdown. Eagles had the lead and they needed a big stop. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that Ertz touchdown, that that was very big. That was that was that was huge. Yeah, and just to add to your point about Zach Ertz, I mean he set the Eagles franchise record for most catches. Um, is it by a tight end or by any receiver? I think it 
I'm not sure. Definitely by a tight end. Yeah, with 116, and Ertz has been one of the best tight ends in football. You can you can come at him for not getting a lot of yak yards after catch, but Zach Ertz has always been reliable and always been that security blanket for whoever throws in the football between because he got drafted in 2013. So between Nick Foles, Carson Wentz, Mark Sanchez, Zach Ertz has been that consistent, reliable pass catcher, and that leads to the 16th play of our top 25 and our final play for this segment. And we're going to end on this topic. It's perfect timing. Cole Hamels, uh, one of the Phillies' most iconic pitchers in franchise history. Just signed with the Braves today. How about that? Yes, he did. and he I got have a, paid. I know he did, and I have a lot to say about that. But we'll get into it once I'm done uh, introducing this play. Cole Hamels, 2015 in Wrigley Field as his last start as a Philadelphia Phillies starting pitcher, he threw a no-hitter against a very tough Chicago Cubs lineup that had, obviously, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, um, uh, Baez. They, they're stacked from top to bottom. And Carson, uh, not Carson Wentz, Cole Hamels, sorry, threw <clears throat> a no-hitter and became the first player to throw a no-hitter in his last appearance for a team. And obviously the Phillies are rebuilding in 2015, but to have that big moment in that season and for a guy that literally has been top five in the Cy Young voting during his peak, uh, I would say from 28 or uh, 08 to about, what, like 16? Yeah. Yeah, like he's been consistent. He's on pace for over 3,000 strikeouts. And once he gets that, he's a lock-in for Hall, for Hall of Fame. But Cole Hamels... And the Phillies' lone highlight of the 2015 season, I believe that year they went exactly. Now, did they go exactly 500? No, that, they were bad that year. Yeah, they were, they that were was 12. Bad. They went 500. They were like really bad in 2015. <laughs> okay, because yeah, yeah. they started to trade everybody away that year, mm-hmm. so they got even worse. They trade. They traded Utley during that season yep. as well, I believe. Yeah, but, and we all and we all know what happened with Utley losing the 2017 World Series to the cheating Astros. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but but, uh, but Hamels that day that was incredible. I yes. remember I was I was down the shore. Uh, we were coming home that day, listening on the radio. We we got back just in time to watch the end of the game on television. Uh, that ball out to center field it scared me, uh, but they made the catch and the Phillies they won the game. They got the no hitter. Hamels he cemented his spot as a legit ace, and that made. The Rangers want to trade for him, and it kickstart the new Phillies rebuild. Uh, the trade that went down shortly after this no hitter was Cole Hamels and Jake Diekman. Jake Diekman, Jake Diekman, you just resigned with the with the A's. So Hamels and Diekman for Matt Harrison, who was hurt, and I don't think he ever played. He was just a salary dump. Matt Harrison, Nick Williams, Jorge Alfaro, Jake Thompson, Alec Asher, and Jared Eikhoff. You know, that was supposed to be what replenished the system. Only Jared Eikhoff and Jorge Alfaro ever turned out to do anything super productive or, you know, pretty productive in the major leagues. Williams has shown flashes, but nothing big. Um, Alfaro did help them get real Muto. So, you know, you got to give credit there. But but yeah, it really reshaped what what uh, the next five years of Phillies baseball would look like that no hitter. Yeah, you're right, and obviously just adding to your point, because, I mean, even Hamels, you can say on the Rangers part of the deal, 
Um, he pitched uh, two or three great se- uh, three great seasons with the Rangers, and obviously they all ended in disappointment between him and Udarvis choking. That's a Toronto Blue Jay, Jose Batista. Um, and uh, well, to be yeah. fair, to be fair, it was mostly Elvis Andrews choking. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hamels was he didn't give up that that big home run in 2015 to Jose Batista, but he started that inning and Andrews could not field a ball for his life. And, you know, a couple errors, Rugnet Odor let a fly ball drop over his head. And next thing you know, Bautista hit the, hit the bomb out to left center field, one of the more iconic moments of this decade in, in baseball. Yeah, and just, just adding to the fire, man. How about Odor beating up a, a Bautista that following year? <laughs> yeah, he punched him right in the face. <laughs> but, yeah, before we conclude this topic, obviously Cole Hamels signed with the Atlanta Braves for a one-year contract, $18 million. I know they're having talks between him getting a multi-year deal for about $30 million or or getting a one-year big million-dollar contract. Um, how do you feel about Hamels going to the Braves? I know a lot of people in the Fanatic were calling him a traitor because um, I know the Phillies had talks about getting him. Um, but how do you feel about Hamels going to the Braves? I mean, I don't know how you could blame somebody for taking that much money to can do a lot for your family and for yourself. So I, I don't think anybody, I think he just took what the highest bid was. And he, like he said, he wanted to play for a contender. He, he came out today and said the Phillies were not, you know, they had talked, but nothing got super serious. I think if the Phillies made a, an offer similar to what the Braves put up, he would have came back to Philadelphia. But I just don't think that, I think the Phillies needed more, um, significant upgrades than Hamels could provide, especially at that price. So I'm fine with it. He'll probably be pitching in the playoffs, which is what he wants at the end of his career. Um, and who knows? He's a free agent against again next year. So maybe he comes, you know, one year yeah. deal. Maybe he's, maybe he's back next year. Yeah. And, and I completely agree with you, but this concludes the next five plays. We are down to number 15. On our list already, we'll be back at the, at the 6 o'clock hour sometime around there. You guys listen to Swoop Radio with Josh Sanchez here on 89.1 WIBF-FM Cavalier Radio. We'll be right back. And hello, everybody. I'm your host, Josh Sanchez. Welcome back to the final show of the semester of Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty and we have a special treat for you guys today. Um, just letting you guys know, bear with me. I am a little bit under the weather. Um, I've, I've been, my stomach has been killing me all day, but the show must go on. Now, Ty, how are you feeling today? Finals week is next, is, is literally right around the corner. How stressed are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling all right. Not, not great, but I think we'll be all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree. I was just... I have to do this 30-page lit review. Um, I have to have 30 sources on it. My fault. It doesn't have to be 30 pages. Um, and so far, I have 25 sources on there. I was knocking it out today, despite me being a little bit under the weather. But for our, for our show today with Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty, what we're going to do is we are going to give you guys the top 25 Philadelphia sports plays of the decade. And we'll probably we'll probably try and we'll mix in a little bit of like Eagles talk on the fly. Um, also do a little bit of some uh, some weekly picks because I did go 
three and two last week. Um, the Vikings and the Eagles let me down, obviously. But um, Ty, are you ready to get started with this countdown? Yeah, let's get into it, man. All right, so number 25 of Philadelphia's most memorable plays of the decade, Jake Elliott's 61-yard field goal. And to give you guys a little bit of some context, Jake Elliott and the Eagles, they were 1-1. One one. They were coming off of a loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in the 2017 NFL season. We're taking on a very tough New York Giants team that, that I believe that was the same game Odell Beckham was crying on the sidelines. I believe um, so as well. I think that was the, it was that game. <laughs> but um, Jake Elliott and the Eagles had a very had a multi touchdown lead going into the fourth quarter. The Giants come back to tie the game, and it came down to this memorable kick by Jake Elliott, sixty one yards. Sending the Eagles to a 2-1 record. And I honestly think, Ty, that was the start of the Eagles' takeoff. Yeah, that that felt like it gave them a lot of momentum. That was a huge, that was a huge win. Um, longest, longest kick in Eagles franchise history at the time. It was the uh I'm not sure if this record stands, but it was the longest rookie kick as well um at that moment. So that was a really awesome time for Elliot, who he the past few years he stepped in up in a lot of big a lot of big moments uh, for this team. So I, I think that was the start of a lot for, for that team and for Jake Elliott as well. Yeah, and, and just guys know, some there's an honorable mention of a play that will not be in our top 25 since we're just getting started. Um, Jake Elliott's field goal in the Super Bowl or the big game that gave the Eagles an eight-point lead. Um, that was a very big kick because if he misses that kick, you give Tom Brady the ball with less than a minute and a half down five so and a touchdown wins the game for the Patriots so that that play is going to be an honorable mention just to let you guys know but um yes Jake Elliott is your 25th play of the decade now number 24 of the Philadelphia Flyers Ty would you like to do this one yeah I'll take I'll take this one so this was actually in 2019 uh Carter Hart in October became the youngest goalie in Flyers history to record a shutout. So in their game against the New Jersey Devils, Carter Hart, you know, he posted a shutout um, at 21 years old in 57 days. And, you know, the Flyers, they're they're going hot right now. They're playing really well, playing some good hockey. And I think that this moment kind of signified that, that they're a very talented team and they have some some pieces that you can build around. So I think that was a, a big moment for them. Um, kind of like uh, a, a little teaser here. We have some Sixers moments where some of their guys got their first, got their first uh, big moments. Uh, not a little bit before they were playoff good guys like Embiid, but it, you could kind of see the the roots of a good team. Yes, and just to add to your fire, um, the Connor Hart and the Flyers just completely steamrolled the Toronto Maple Leafs yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> Six to one, the Flyers scored six or five goals in the third period. So that's that right there. That just proves your point. This Flyers team is young and they are getting better day in and day out. Now, number 23 on our list. This one is a Philadelphia Phillies moment. So, so far, we're showing a lot of variety here. We got Eagles, Flyers, and now a Phillies moment. In 2011, there was a couple moments that we were thinking about 
Um, the, the Phillies clinching their franchise record for most wins in a season that year. Uh, for those who do not know, 2011 was an historic year for the Phillies. It did not end well, obviously, but the Phillies set a franchise record. You had the four aces. You had Roy Holiday, Cole Hamels, Cliff Lee, and Roy Oswald. You had, and the, you had the Wilson Valdez game. Yeah, she had the Wilson Valdez the game. First posi- the first player to start uh, at a position and then come in and get a win in a game since Babe Ruth. Yes. So the Phillies had an historic year that 2011 se- uh, season, but they, they won their franchise record fifth straight NL East crown in 2011 in a 9-2 victory over the St. Louis Cardinals. Roy Oswalt won seven, and Raul Ibanez hit a grand slam. And it's just, I know... The, the Phillies got their new manager, but I know they had talks about getting Raul Ibanez for a little bit. Yeah, Ibanez, I think he'll be a manager someday. Uh, right now he says he's not ready, but he's a smart guy, good baseball dude. I think I think he'll get a shot at it uh, at some point. Yeah, and, and just to conclude the 23rd moment in Philadelphia sports history this past decade, the end of the 2011 season clinching that NL East title would mark the greatest stretch by a Phillies baseball team. Now we know they ended up with, they ended up losing to the Cardinals in five and that was the game where Ryan Howard did tear his Achilles, but clinching the NL East for five straight years marks is our top or our 23rd play of our top 25. We're going to do two more plays before we take a very quick break here again on this special show with Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty. So now number 22, we have to go in another Phillies moment again, this time paying tribute to Roy Holiday. Just like how we clinched the NL East in 2011, Roy Holiday's complete game to clinch the NL East in 2010. Uh, Roy Holiday finished what he started in Washington, D.C. as the Phillies clinched their fourth straight NL East title. He only surrendered two hits in the Phillies, and the Phillies won eight to nothing. This would also mark the end of his Cy Young season in 2010, when Roy Holiday won over 20 games, and just showed you guys again he being clearly one of the best pitchers in this in this era of the early 2000s into the 20s. I'd say the best. Yes, and this game, uh, th- this game at the end of 2010. It was basically, you know, he came in, he threw a gem in that big game to clinch the to clinch the division for the Phillies. And everybody at that point was like, all right, well, this is going to be, you know, the final mark for such a great season. Little did they know in a few weeks he would uh, he would up himself. He had already thrown a perfect game, which we'll get to later. Uh, but in a few weeks after that, that complete game to clinch it, he managed to up himself once they got to the playoffs which we will also get to a little bit later. So that was a that was a really good moment for for Roy who will get we'll get to more of him later on. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, and and just a quick question. I know Roy Holiday was he was eligible for the Hall of Fame last year, correct? Yeah, he's and, he's and in, he, he got inducted yeah, okay. last year. So first ballot. Yes. Hall of Famer Roy Holiday. Got to give a, a big tribute to him because what he did in that short run with the Phillies in in the early de- early part of the decade was nothing but sensational. So anyway, our last play for the first segment, if you want to get into some Eagles talk a little bit, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, number 21 on our top 25 plays, Ben Simmons versus LeBron game to clinch the three seed. And for those who 
need a little refresher. Ben Simmons was absolutely sensational in that game. He had a triple-double, had over 30 points in that game, and him and LeBron were going at it toe-for-toe. Embiid was out because Embiid got hurt late in the season. This was the first year the Sixers made the postseason. They would eventually lose to the Boston Celtics 4-1 in the Eastern Semis. But the Sixers clinched that three-seed over beating a very tough Cleveland Cavaliers team that had a LeBron James that was just sensational. Um, Ty, how do what do you remember from the game? So first of all, the mo- there are a couple of moments in this game. The one that sticks out to me in the first half was Simmons was in transition. He did that between the legs dribble from behind, and then he did a no-look pass to Redick, who was in the corner and falling away. He buried a three. Cavs took a timeout, and Redick stood in the corner pumping his arms in celebration for what felt like 15 seconds. That was that was a really funny moment. Uh, the Sixers, they got up like 30 points in that first half. They put up 78 points in the first half of that, of that game. Uh, second half was a different story. LeBron really took over, and they almost came back. The Cavs were down three, and uh, LeBron took a three to try to tie it at the end of, or no, could they have, yeah, they would have tied it. They would have tied it. LeBron took a three. Covington tried to foul him on the floor. They called it a shooting foul. Uh, LeBron could have tied the game with all three foul shots. He made the first one, missed the second one, and because he, you know, blew that, they had to intentionally miss on the third one, and Sixers came down with the rebound, and that was the game. They clinched the three seed. So I, that was a game I'll always remember. That was a real, that was a really fun one. That that team, uh, they, they were super exciting. Like seeing them start to get really good was a lot of fun. Uh, that game was their thirteenth straight win. I think they won a run of fifteen straight to end the season or something like that. Yes, it was. I believe sixteen. Yeah, sixteen Embiid, straight. Embiid missed the last sixteen games. And they, yeah, they won them all. Uh, so that was that was a lot of fun, that that game. Something I'll always remember them, uh, cl- clinching that, and then the Cavs got the four seed, but they ultimately made the finals anyway, uh, beating the the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then we all knew what would happen in that finals. The Cavs ended up losing to the Golden State Warriors. But this concludes our first five plays of the first segment here with Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty. Just a Give you guys a little refresher before we get on to break. Number 25 was Jake Elliott's 61-yard field goal. 24 was Connor Hart becoming the youngest goalie to post a shutout in Flyers history. 23, to eat the Phillies clinched the NLE's title, marking making it five straight years. 20, uh, 22, Holiday's complete game to make it four straight NLE's titles. 21, Simmons and LeBron game to clinch the three-seed. And Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty will we'll be back to give you guys the next five plays on our list. But you guys listen to Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty. And Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty is back. And man, we have a top 10 plays of the Philadelphia decade coming up very shortly. But but before we get started, I know we ended with like Embiid's play and and really thinking about it. Do you think Embiid has lost a little bit of the love of the game? Because like you were seeing him like, like, like he he was getting at it with Stephen Adams and like really engaging the crowd. Like, 
I mean, I, I still I still think the Sixers team is going to make the finals. They they look legit. But do you think it be lost a little bit of the love of the game? Um, I think that might be a possibility. Like that's something I've noticed. Um, he's less. It looks like he's having less fun out there sometimes. Um, I know some games after big plays he'll still do the little shimmy or he'll he'll pump up the crowd or whatever. But it's nothing like it used to be. It seemed like back then he was having a lot more fun with it. And maybe that's because he was just newer to it all and just was really excited to be out there. And now he has a little more of a, a goal he's trying to get after. But, um, yeah, I think that's a possibility. And I hope that that's not true because I think his personality is part of what makes him so great. Yeah, and I, I could not agree with you more there. Um, but, um, yeah, let's get back to our top 10 plays. We're down to the final 10. And we got to start with number 10. And this was a start of an historic run for your Philadelphia Flyers. 2010, they ended up losing to the Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup final. But honestly, did this team really, did you, I, I don't know about you, but the Flyers, I believe, were the seven seed in the 2010 playoff. And a lot of people thought that this team, okay, like, like, like they're a good team, but are they a Stanley Cup contender? Eh, not really, and it really showed in the uh, Eastern in in the Eastern Conference semifinals game. The Bruins steamrolled the Flyers those first three games. They completely annihilated them. The Flyers were down down o three, and then the Flyers will win Game Five, win Game Six, and then they were down three nothing in Game Seven in Boston, and the Flyers shocked the world, scoring four goals. To stun Boston in Game 7, we all know the Bruins would get their revenge the following year. But Ty, down 0-3. How many teams have done that? Not many. Not not many. And that that's incredible. It's It really is incredible. 0-3 in the series, 0-3 in the game. Being able to come back and get that W and and force it to, to uh, you know, the next series and then... After that, you have as good a chance as, as anybody to make the Stanley Cup Finals, which ultim- ultimately they did. So uh, the fight of that team and, you know, the, the odds that they overcame, that, that was just an incredible run for the Flyers. Yeah, and like I said on the last segment, 2010 was just a great year for Philadelphia sports. I mean, they all ended in disappointment, but overall, you have three teams make the playoffs. That is a good, solid year out of four. So that's a good, solid year for Philly sports. Now, number nine, sticking with that Flyers same playoff run. Game three of the Stanley Cup final. The Phil, the, the you, you know him. He is our current, he's one of our current top players and has been for the past decade. Claude Giroux in game three. This is, a, I believe, this is like his first or second season with the team. He's like, a, it's a young Claude Giroux, a young uh, Giroux. Scored the game-winning overtime goal in Game Three of the Stanley Cup, and that was that was a huge over overtime goal. If you were to watch the highlights and and see that goal, and the Philadelphia crowd just erupt in Game Three, uh, Claude Giroux definitely that that moment has to be in the top ten for the decade. Some people would rank him higher, but for our eight plays that are ahead, it's very tough. To, yeah, for sure. And that leads to number eight. 
again, this same Flyers run, these next three plays in 2010, we had the comeback, we had Claude Giroux, and then we have the most memorable goal because the Flyers would end up beating the Montreal Canadiens to go to the Stanley Cup. Mike Richards, they always call it the shift game because Mike Richards shot and scored a short-handed goal beating the shift and all the pressure. He made it 1-1. He tied it at 1-1 and then the Flyers would end up beating uh, the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, Ty, how but, do you feel about all three of these games? Yeah, they were all uh, that run. It's just like that something about that run had so many great moments, so it was hard to kind of kind of put anything above the other, if that makes sense. Uh, the shift, that shorthanded goal, uh, was insane. There was like three guys going for the puck. Richards dove. He gets up, backhands it into the goal after escaping all the bodies, and like that that was crazy to ha- get a short goal like that already down one nothing in that game and that that was a really crazy run that they that was a, a team that fought really hard had some really great moments uh they didn't get it done unfortunately but the that was it was a fun journey for sure yeah and that really started the Mike Richards uh Jeff Carter uh connection cuz they ended up going to the Kings together and they yep. ended up winning the Stanley Cup with uh, Jonathan Quick as their goaltender. And we all know how great he was in their two Stanley Cup playoff championship runs. At number seven, so the Flyers plays, wherever you rank them, feel free to call into the station, voice your opinion. If not, the podcast will be out on Thursday, tomorrow, and you guys can comment there. But at number seven, this game, we have to put this ahead of the Flyer series only because basketball in Philadelphia, especially after AI left, it was terrible. They, they, were, they were garbage in 09. And then they end up getting Evan Turner. And that's how I remember Evan Turner because the way how he spoke. Um, Evan Turner was the second overall pick in the 20, not, 2010 draft. And he was he was picked right behind John Wall, and the Sixers missed a lot of talent in that draft. Um, as you talk, I will pull up some of the names. But fast forward to 2012, the Sixers are an eight seed. They barely squeak by. They squeak by because of Spencer Hall's late magic. And Spencer Hall's will always, even though I know you're not really a Spencer Hall's guy. I mean, he did hit some big shots. You got to give Hall some yeah. credit. Yeah, he did that. Even that first year that they started to to tank, he um, he nailed that that corner three <laughs> off one leg against the Bucks. They were trying to lose games and they just <laughs> wouldn't lose that game because Spencer Hawes went off at the end. Yeah, and then we had to trade him because he kept going off. Yeah, but anyway, twenty twelve, the year Derrick Rose tears his ACL, game six, Andre Godala steals the ball, gets fouled, hits two free throw shots. And he's not a good free throw shooter. Ty, how do you feel about that moment? Now, now you said he stole the ball. What happened really was they put a sheik at the line and he missed two straight oh, yeah. foul shots. My, took, my, my fault, guys. My took fault. the rebound, went yes. the length of the floor, gets fouled. You know, uh, the ball bounced right to Thad Young, who tipped it right back in. And it's like, oh man, I wish he didn't get fouled because <laughs> Igadala was not a good free throw shooter, like you said. But he buried them both. He, he, he made them both, and he uh, he really, you know, 
there's a lot of criticism for Godala because he wasn't Allen Iverson. He wasn't that good. He was a more of a role player type of guy that he excelled in that that spot for Golden State. But um, at that point, he really he put the team on his back. He hit two clutch free throws. He shot them so high in the air. It felt like it took forever for them to you know go in the hoop after he let go of them. But he both of them went in. Bulls got the ball. They threw up a half court heave in desperation, and it almost went in. But luckily, it missed, and Sixers won that series and then the next season they blew it up <laughs> they traded Iguodala and uh they traded Iguodala in a blockbuster deal for Andrew Bynum and it never really worked out but they they will have that moment I know a lot of things went their way with the Bulls getting injured and things like that but um they they got that first that first uh, series win since Iverson, and, yeah, and that was they, a good yeah. moment. And they really played the Celtics tough. They should have won they went game, game seven. They won game seven, and they could have won. Yeah, they just they just ran out of gas at the end. Um, but that core was so great with Drew Holiday, one of the most underrated uh, point guards in this current decade. But just adding to my point earlier about the 2010 draft, so the, the Phillies, not Phillies, the Sixers, we drafted Evan Turner behind John Wall, right? So here's some notable names after Evan Turner. Derek Favors went three. The Marcus Cousins went fifth. Gordon Hayward went ninth. Paul George went tenth. Yeah, Patrick Patterson, Larry Sanders, Eric Bledsoe, Avery Bradley, um, Trevor Booker. Not 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 Devin Booker. Oh, you guys. Uh, uh, no, former yeah. Sixer Trevor Booker, yeah. who they got for Okafor and Stauskas and a second rounder, and then they cut him after three weeks. Yeah, and what's crazy is Paul George was the 10th pick in that draft. Yeah. And and Sixers missed a lot of talent in that draft. They ended up getting Evan Turner. I mean, I know he was good off of out of Ohio State, but not really impressive. Uh, and, and that just shows you, again, Sixers basketball is not really exciting until these past three uh, couple years. But... Here's our last play for this segment, and then we are going to get into our top five Philly plays of the decade. This one could easily be in the top five, but we have to put it at six because the plays ahead of it are just simply a little bit better. Roy Holiday's big shout out to Roy Holiday. Perfect game in 2010 against the Miami Marlins. Then the Florida, Florida Marlins. Yeah. Then the Florida Marlins. I know I'm used to saying that. In the, Dolphin Stadium or whatever it was called. Yes, then. the old Dolphin Stadium. And I think it was called SunTrust or something like that at that point. Yeah, and, and the Florida Marlins have a funky franchise <laughs> because the two times they made it to the postseason, they won it as the wild card team. And so. then they blew it up yes. right after both times. Crazy. So, yes, it's very crazy. And now we know Derek Jeter's running there, and I think there's some conspiracy theory with him because giving uh, the Yankees John Carlos Stanton and stuff and and all that. I don't really like those ties, Ty. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah. But um, Roy Holiday's perfect game in 2010. Literally, again, he won the Cy Young that year. I I know he was close to win MVP, right? Um, he, I'm not sure. I th- I don't even remember who won MVP that year. I think it was was it Ryan Braun. It might have. I don't know. I, I thought it was Miguel Cabrera because I know. He, well, he won it for. He might have won it 
No, no, no. That was the year that Joey Votto. Oh, Cabrera Joey was Votto. in the AL. Joey yeah. Votto won it that season. Yeah, yeah. So Joey and Votto was really good. Yeah. I think he won it. Oh, Halliday might have gotten some votes, but I think Votto won it by like a lot. Yeah, yeah. I remember that because I remember when we played them in the in that postseason when we swept them. A lot of fans were talking smack, like, "Oh, he's supposed to be the MVP," but we swept them. Yeah, <laughs> so. Halliday. Halliday was sixth in in voting that season, but mm-hmm. uh, Votto, like. Got all but he got all but one first place vote. Yeah. So uh yeah, Roy Holiday, uh just to give you guys some more context, this happened in May of twenty ten. He threw the twentieth perfect game in baseball history. Um this was the second in franchise history. Juan Castro. Wow, Juan Castro. Yeah, made a spinning Pol- throw. Polanco was hurt, I believe, at that time. Yeah, Placido Polanco. I remember him because there there is this video game. I know we're going a little bit off topic. There was this video game. It's like the old first PlayStation. And I think it was like MLB like 2000 or something. And Pl- I'll never get Placido Polanco because like he had like this stance where he just shook his bat. <laughs> and, and like I used to play that game a lot. As like a, I was like four or five years old playing this game. I'd have the players run into each other. <laughs> it, it was so fun. It, it, it was so much fun. I definitely recommend it. I forget the game exactly what was it is. Was it MVP baseball? I, I think so. It might it might have been, but it was the old PlayStation, the old place like PlayStation One. Got you. So, Roy Holiday's perfect game is the sixth on our top twenty-five. When we get back around the seven o'clock hour here with Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty, we're going to get into our top five plays. Um, we have a lot of great plays coming up, so I hope you guys stick around. Uh, definitely Roy Holiday might be in there. Patrick Robinson might be in there. Who knows? Well, you guys listen to Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty on 89.1 WYBF FM Cavalier Radio. And Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty is back. And we have our final five plays. Just before we get started, we have to recap. Just in case if, if you guys missed it. 25 was Jake Elliott's 61-yard field goal. 24 was Connor Hart becoming the youngest goalie in Flyers history with a shutout this past year. 23 was the Phillies clinching the their fifth NL East title. 22 was Roy Holiday's complete game to clinch their fourth straight NL East title. 21 was Simmons and LeBron, that classic game to clinch the three seed. Number 20 was the January 2017 Sixers winning 10 games in the month of January. Number 19, J-Roll gets the hit record. 18, Jimmy Butler's game winners against Hornets and Nets. Number 17, Ertz's TD in the big game, the Super Bowl. 16, Cole Hamels ends his Philly career with a no-no, 2015. Number 15, Snowball, 2013 versus the Lions. Number 14, Nick Foles torches the Raiders with seven TDs in 2013. Number 13, Jalen Mills stuffs Julio Jones fourth and goal, 2017 NFC Divisional Round. Number 12, Michael Vick's 80-yard bomb to Deshaun Jackson Monday Night Football 2010. Last year, the Eagles would make the postseason under Andy Reid. Number 11, Embiid's first career game versus the Thunder. This started an epic career for... You're a two-time second-team All-NBA and two-time All-Star Joel Embiid. Going to be three times later in the year. Number 10, you had the Flyers come back from an 0-3 series and down 0-3 against the Bruins in Game 7. Number 9, Claude Giroux 
Game three overtime goal, Stanley Cup, 2010. Number eight, Mike Richards, the shift game, 2010, shorthanded goal. Number seven, 2012, playoffs, Sixers defeat the Bulls. Andre Godala gets the rebound, goes coast to coast, gets fouled, makes two free throws. And number six, Roy Holiday's perfect game in 2010 against the Marlins, Florida Marlins at the time. Now, Ty, your number fifth play, and this was honestly young me, like middle school me, this was probably my greatest play in Eagles history. The Sean Jackson's game-winning punt, 2010, known as the Miracle in the New Meadowlands. To think about it, the Eagles were getting killed by the Giants that game, absolutely getting destroyed. And the Eagles start rolling. They end up tying the game. And I'll never forget, Tom Coughlin yells at his punter. He's like, do not punt it to Deshaun Jackson. Do not punt it to Deshaun Jackson. And what does he do? He punts it right to Deshaun Jackson. He muffs the punt, does about two or three juke moves, gets a crackback block, and that's the one play that a lot of people, people will think about Jackson running. How about that block? Jason Avant, right? Oh, yeah, Jason Avant just decked that New York Giants guy completely decked him and I know if the NFL was today that would have been a flag because you can't do crackback blocks anymore but Jackson took it to the house and I was like get in the, get in the damn end zone he's running around the end zone and he gets well, in and he chucks was, the ball yeah I think he was just making sure that he uh that he you know yeah had, had the zeros on the clock but also he's probably you know he was pimping it a little bit which is fine which is fine <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I was, I was just, at first when I was little, I was like, get in, get in. I'm like, we just beat the Giants. Like, yeah, little comeback. I know, it was a huge comeback. And that was probably one of the best plays other than their Super Bowl run that I could say in this decade, like, in terms of Eagles plays. Now, number four, Ty, would you like to do number four? Yeah, I'll do number four. So, another Eagles play for us here. Uh, 2017 in the National uh, football conference title game. Yes. Against the against, Vikings? Against the Vikings. Philadelphia Eagles, you know, not a hot start. Vikings score early. Eagles, you punt. know, they have to punt it away. Uh, Donnie Jones, you know, he, he had to punt it away. That was back when he was on the team. And it's not feeling good for the Eagles now, is it? It. I, I know my feelings from that game is early on I was – I was nervous. I don't know about you. What did? How were you feeling uh, after um, those few few plays there? Um, I was okay. I was yeah. I was starting to get a little nervous. Now, if they would have scored again, then I'd be like, okay. But teams do that though. Yeah. And, and like the first posi- like the first drive, they like to see what what your offense is going to throw at them. So like I know, um, Sean McDermott did it against the Cowboys this past week in thank in Thanksgiving. Dallas went the whole field. They went ninety yards. And drove it on the Bills in that first drive, and they were up seven nothing. And Sean, what Sean McDermott did was like, okay, you got seven, but now I know your whole arsenal. I know what offensive plays you're gonna play, and I know the type of defense to stop you. And the Bills completely rolled the Cowboys Thanksgiving. So that I mean, I was starting, I was feeling similar to that. I was like, okay, like it's the first drive, defense needs to get a feel. Our defense has been on fire, allowing less than ten points a game. Uh, like during that Super Bowl run, like that second half of the year, our defense really turned it on. And like I, I had confidence. It just seemed like 2017 was our year. Yeah. So uh, at that point, uh, 
The Vikings have the ball. Case Keenum with the ball in his hands. He goes back to pass. Chris Long gets a hand on. Oh, yes, he does. Gets a hand on Case Keenum's arm. And he throws a duck up. And Patrick Robinson picks it off. He takes it back. Cuts across to the other end of the field. He catches it on the left side. Takes it all the way across. Scores uh, near the right pylon. And Lincoln Financial Field went insane. Uh, yeah. You could you could feel the momentum swing like it was something that you could actually feel um, whether you were there or just watching. You're like, all right, well, this is the Eagles game, and the Eagles they rolled from that point forward, <laughs> winning thirty eight to seven. They had they had some other iconic moments in that game that ended up just missing our top twenty five, including the flea flicker to Torrey Smith, <laughs> oh, man. and uh, the bomb of a touchdown to Alshon, Alshon Jeffrey. Jeffrey yep. So, but that that pick six was just such a a key play from Patrick Robinson, who he cemented his role in in Eagles lore and Philadelphia lore for the rest of the time. Really, with that with that play, that was such a huge play for the Eagles. Um, one that was that like what what a crazy play. Oh yeah, yeah, it was absolutely crazy. And I remember like the going into the game, like a lot of people thought like, oh yeah, like the Vikings have the number one defense in football. They, they're looking really good. And we just, from that pick six on, we just annihilated the Minnesota Vikings. And that's why we have this play as in, in our top five because definitely it's very close to top three, but it's it sits there perfectly at number four because it was such a momentum switch, like the momentum changer. Like, you obviously, we, if, if it was Eagles plays, the Jeffrey touchdown would have been there. The Jeffrey touchdown in the Super Bowl would have been there. But... We have to make these plays count. And Patrick Robinson, that really changed the momentum, and that was a very iconic moment in Philadelphia Eagles playoff history. Now, we'll get into number three, and then we'll, we're going to take a very quick break, and we'll leave you guys with the top two plays uh, after the 7 o'clock hour. We did start our show later today. Number three, in the perfect way to end and to get into the final two, Roy Holiday's first career start as a professional baseball pitcher threw a no-hitter against the Cincinnati Reds. And, Reds, and I'm not going to lie to you, that walk he gave up, that wasn't a walk. Jay Bruce, current Philly. Yeah, and, a, and I'll still say it to this day, that wasn't a walk. Yeah, he struck him out on the pitch before. Yeah, he struck him out on the pitch before. I'm like, come on, man, come on. But anyway. Yeah, how crazy is it that Roy Holiday... You know, one of the certified best pitchers in baseball since the early 2000s, a, a Cy Young Award winner before, things like that. He comes in to the Phillies in 2010. He had never thrown a no-hitter, and he had never he had never uh, pitched in the playoffs. And how about, you know, throws two no-hitters for the Phillies that season, and in his first playoff start, he throws this no-hitter. Yeah, he was, man, it's a, it's a shame because we really, the Phillies would have gotten another one. Man, that, like, that would have cemented us as one of the best teams in this past decade if we would have gotten another one. And we had the talent, man. Roy Holiday that year was sensational. Um, like you said it, two no-hitters, one perfect game, one no-hitter, and it was his first start against the Cincinnati Reds. Game one, you know how game ones are, Ty. It's always tight. 
dog fights because you you get the team's best in game one. It's it's either a feel out game or you get the team's best, especially from the road team. And that really set the tone for that series because Cliff Lee dominated um, in game two, and then Cole Hamels threw a complete game no, shutout. Cliff, uh, Cliff, Cliff Lee, Cliff wasn't, Lee wasn't on the team. That right, yeah, my fault. Who pitched game two? Was it uh, Hamels? It was. I, uh, I know Hamels pitched game three. Um, he because because he threw a complete game shutout in Cincinnati. I know that. I know that's a fact. Yeah, I do remember that. I thought that was game two. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I forgot who pitched game two. I, I you, thank you for reminding me because Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee was 09. but um. Yeah, um, might like, have been Oswald. Yeah, it, it was either Oswald or I don't know who pitched game two, but we dominated game two, and then Hamels just shut the door game three. Like he, that was probably one of the best games besides his no hitter. And and Hamels, the Hamels had the Reds. He had the Reds number. Oh yeah, he's always had the Reds number in his career. He, he some of his biggest games were against Cincinnati. And what's crazy is because I'm a big Cole Hamels nerd. His major league debut was against the Cardinal. It was against the uh, Reds. Hmm. So that's just a little fun fact. And he won that game. He went five innings in 06. So that's just a little fun fact um, about Cole. But the fact that Roy Holiday has, what, three plays in our top 25? And he was only here from 2010 to like 20, 2010 to like, uh, 13. Yeah, like 2010 to 13. And he wasn't even good in 12 or 13. Yeah, no, you could tell he was towards the back end of his career in 2012. But that just shows you right there, man. That that holiday no hitter, the one we're talking about, our number three. I was at that game as a kid. Oh man, so jealous! Like, hands down, the best game I've ever been to, and I'm not sure anything will top it. Only the, the second no hitter in the history of the playoffs. Other one, Don Larson's perfect game in the World Series in 1956, I believe. Um, but like it, the magnitude of that game and. Just what a season he had. I'm not sure if a Philly will ever top that because Halliday, Halliday might have been the quickest Philly to just come in and like become so beloved by oh, by yeah. a city and, and things like that uh, because of how good he was, how he wanted he wanted to be a Philly in 2009. Um, I listened to an episode of the At The Yard podcast with Corey Seidman and uh, Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports and and Jim talked about when he was at the Inquirer in 2009 when they traded for Cliff Lee. They uh, they had Jim go out to Toronto and be on Roy Halladay beat because the Phillies were trying to trade for Halladay at that deadline, and they couldn't get it done. And he says he remembers that Halladay. He said all the right things about like not being upset, like he's happy to be here, all that didn't work out. But you could tell that he was upset that he wasn't going to be on the Phillies, and Phillies ultimately traded for Cliff Lee, and that worked out. He helped lead them to the to the World Series, but um, Halliday he wanted to be a uh, part of the Phillies. He wanted to play in Philadelphia and pitch in the postseason. And his first opportunity, he he goes out there and he makes he makes history. And I outside of outside of the Phillies winning the World Series in two thousand eight, I'd say that the no hitter in the playoffs was the best moment that I can remember uh, by the Phillies. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we're going to come back at the top of the hour here with Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty. We're going to get to our top two plays. It's going to be a very interesting one. Who do you guys think is our is in our top two plays? Stick around after the 7 o'clock hour. But for now, this is Josh and Ty signing off. We'll be right back. And Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty is back. We have two more plays left. But before we get to our final two plays, 
we have to do our week 14 picks. Ty did not do anything last week because we did not have a show. But I went 3-2 and two last week. And for the season, as I'm tallying up the score, I am now 50 and 35 for the year. Not bad on my picks, I must say. No, not bad. Now, we're going to do six games today because this week because there is a lot of good games. Starting with tomorrow's game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Chicago Bears. Dallas has not beaten a team over 500. Luckily for Dallas, the Bears are a 500 team. Ty, who do you got? Um, I got Dallas. I'm going to take Dallas. I think they'll bounce back after their Thanksgiving loss. Um, see, I was feeling that way, but I think the Bears need it more than the Cowboys. Now that the Eagles lost to the Miami Dolphins last week, and I will get on to I will get on that loss on Monday when I feel better. Um, I got to go with the Bears. I think the Bears being at home, I think their defense is going to really stuff the Cowboys' offense. I expect another like New England Dallas game, like a sixteen to nine. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky uh, looked very good on Thanksgiving, threw for over 340 yards and three touchdowns. I think he continues that hot momentum. Bears get the 7-6 and six for the year. Dallas falls to 6-7. and seven, And then you have them and the Eagles both sitting there at 6-7. and seven. Next game, you have the Baltimore Ravens taking a trip to Buffalo to take on the Buffalo Bills. Ty, who do you got? Um, I'm going to take the Ravens here. I think we're going to get a good Lamar, uh, Lamar game. Um, I, I definitely can see that. I know the Bills are due for a letdown. They had a big win against Dallas. But I, I think the Bills get this game in, in, in Baltimore. I think the 49ers showed the blueprint on how to contain Lamar Jackson. They held the Ravens to 20 points for the game. And this Bills defense, they may struggle a little bit against a run. But this Bills defense is definitely something special. I, I think the Bills get a win at home against the Ravens team and they're riding high. They just want to, they took a trip to Dallas and they won a memorable game. I think they continue that hot momentum. I like the bills over the Baltimore Ravens. Next, next game. We have the 49ers taking a trip to new Orleans to take on the new Orleans saints. Winner gets the number one seed in the NFC. Ty, who do you got? I think the 49ers are going to prove that they're the best team in the NFC. Yes, I agree with you. I think the 49ers are going to beat the Saints uh, in this game. Um, I have a lot of confidence. They played Baltimore really tough last week. Even though they lost, they should have won that game. Kicker missed two field goals. Can't miss that in, in crucial games. So I got the 49ers. Next, we have the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the struggling New England Patriots in Foxborough. Ty, who do you got? I think the Patriots are going to bounce back and play well. See, I would say that, but right now I think that this team is really struggling. I think Baltimore loses, so New England loses. I like the Chiefs to go into can't to go into New England and beat them. They play really well in New England. The Chiefs and the Ravens are the two teams that play really well on the road in New England. I think they get a big win uh, against the Patriots, and the Chiefs need a big win for the season. Two more games. These games are really good this year, this week. Seahawks taking a trip to L.A. to take on the Rams. Ty, who do you got? Hmm. This is a tough one for me. But I think I'm going to take the Rams. Yeah, I agree with you. The Rams looked really good last week. Um, I think Seattle is due for a loss. They're just due. Now, I think Seattle um, I, I think Seattle makes it as the wild card. I think that they are 11-win wild card team. But I, I, I agree with you. 
I think the Rams get their revenge from um from that from that missed field goal uh from the last time they played. So I like the Rams too. And the final game, we have to do it. The Eagles and the Giants. Ty, who do you got? We'll we'll go with the Eagles. I know that last game was horrendous. I still I can't believe they actually lost. Like definition of a trap game and they fell for it. But I think that they especially with you know, Eli Manning coming back. Did you, I don't know if you saw that news. Yes. Eli Manning will be starting. He'll be rusty. At least the Eagles should hope he'll be rusty. I think that they'll they'll end up winning. Yeah, I agree with you. I have the Eagles beating the Giants. I, I think that they'll win this game. Dallas loses. Eagles win. Both will be six and seven, and everyone's just like, oh goodness, can the end of the race uh, fix? But we did seven games this week. A lot of good football this week. This. This is the big statement week of football because then obviously the next two weeks you have your teams that already have the one seed clinch. So we're having a lot of one seeds going at it. Um, But Ty is going with the Cowboys, Ravens, 49ers, Patriots, Rams, Eagles. I am going with the Bears, the Bears, Uh, the Bills. I think the Bills continue that hot streak. Uh, I got the 49ers, I got the Chiefs, and I got the Rams and Eagles. So this game, it's to be a good week in week 14. And now we got to give you guys our two, our top two plays of Philly sports. The time has come. The time is near. At number two, we have the Philly special from Super Bowl 52, 51, 52, 50, I was right, I was 52 the first time. Ty, how do you feel about the Philly special? Philly special, you know, one of the gutsiest calls in football history, uh, considering the magnitude of the game and situation. Uh, Fourth and goal. First half is ending soon. And Nick Foles, he went up to Doug Peterson. He said, hey, you want it? And Doug said, yeah, let's do it. So they did. Clement to Burton to Foles uh, with the trick play. And everybody knows they're one of the most famous plays in NFL history now so you know legendary play uh, we got to put it up there especially because they ended up winning that championship uh, really really awesome play call and one that is uh, one of the most iconic in team history yes you're definitely right um, I know uh, there's a statue of Nick Foles at the stadium and Doug Peterson's famous call I know Nick Foles called it but Doug Peterson said okay on it and again fourth and goal you don't want to come away with three points because New England would only be down, I believe, like seven or eight. Uh, you want to come with seven, go big or go home, and that's what the Eagles did. Fourth and goal. Brady drops a pass. Nick Foles catches it. Nick Foles could do nothing wrong against the Vikings and against the Patriots. Even his one interception, it wasn't even his fault. Yeah, it was Jeffrey's fault. He should have he came down with it. But anyway, our number one play in Philadelphia, Eagles – and Phillies, Flyers, and Sixers, sports history over the past decade. Drum roll. Brandon Graham's strip sack against Tom Brady. Wow. You want to talk about one of the biggest strip sacks, biggest sacks in Eagles history? You got to go to Brandon Graham. At the time, Eagles just scored with Hurts, and the Patriots are knocking on that door. And that in a game where Brady threw for over 500 yards, we were very scared. I was scared. 
less he had around two minutes left. Patriots had the ball. We already know that script. And Brandon Graham sacked Brady, stripped the ball, and Derek Barnett recovered the, recovered the fumble. Eagles end up kicking a field goal, making it an eight-point game, and pretty much putting an end to the Patriots' run in 2017. Ty, how do you feel about that play? And why do you think it's number one? I think that play is number one. You know, Philly Special is uh, more showy, more flashy, more uh, maybe even memorable, uh, you could argue. But the strip sack was so important because, you know, Brady had the ball. They had the ball. They had a chance to go score. And you always knew it was like, if they can just get to Brady and force a turnover, they can force an interception, force a fumble, get one big stop, you knew they could do it. And Brandon Graham stepped up in the biggest moment of any of those players' lives. And he stepped up. He made the play. Got the ball out of Brady's hand, dropped to the ground. Barnett, you know, he pounced on it right away. Eagles came away with it, and that that was the play. I know the kick helped and everything like that, but even so, just taking the time off the board, uh, pushing the pushing the Patriots back as well. That play sealed the deal uh, for for that game, and, yeah. and really gave them the win there. Yeah, and you're absolutely right because. Man, and that was probably one of the most entertaining Super Bowls of the of the past decade. You got, it's right up there with the comeback with Atlanta and, and New England. That's that's probably arguably the number one. Has to be either that or David Tyree's catch with the Giants only because of what they did. They beat an 18-0 Patriots team. But they, this Eagles Super Bowl was very entertaining. A lot of offense and a lot of trick plays, some trick plays failed, some trick plays did great, and it came down to the defense making one key stop, and there's your champion. And and I completely agree with you. The Philly special will probably be more memorable. Um, as decades pass, the Philly special will always be um, memorable. But the Brandon Graham six strip sack solidified the Eagles Super Bowl run and the Super Bowl championship. And I went to the parade it was an amazing run. Um, definitely has to be right up there. One of the best experiences I've ever had. And I did actually, I actually did a radio show here that following Monday. I did a Super Bowl recap. I had a couple of my friends come on. I had a couple, uh, I, I called like one of the Eagles beat reporters. Like it was good. Like we talked about it. It was a really good Super Bowl show. And man, Eagles are your champions. And that's the difference between the Flyers run in 2010, the Phillies run in 2010. Uh, the Sixers run in 2012, Sixers playoff runs, Flyers playoff runs. The Eagles finished it. And that's why we have the Eagles, the top two plays of our countdown are Eagles plays. Um, but Ty, before we wrap up our final show together, I must say great job handling the board tonight. I know I was not feeling well. I don't want to get that board. Uh, I don't want to get people doing radio shows for the rest of the week sick. So good job, Ty, for your first time doing the board. Good job. Um, and we got to end with, we got to end it only, only the best way how. We got to do our weasel, good apple, and then we have to do our swoop. And yes, then sir. we are, we are good. So Ty, who is your good apple of the week? My good apple of this week? I'm going to have to go with Zach Wheeler. He just signed with the Phillies. A five-year, $118 million deal, according to a couple different guys. I think Jeff Passon was first on it to, not sure. I, Rosenthal had it as well. Um, 
that I, I like the deal. I like Zach Wheeler. We've talked about it on here. We thought he was the guy all along that they should have gone after. Um, I don't think they're done, both position players or pitchers. It's going to be interesting to see what they do, but good for Zach Wheeler getting it done, and uh, he'll be in Philadelphia pretty soon. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You took my good apple. So my good apple of the week is going to go with Luka Doncic uh, for the Dallas Mavericks. He he ended the Lakers' 10-game winning streak. He's averaging over 30 this past month, and he's averaging over a triple-double, 30-10-10. and 10. You, you can't go wrong with that. Luka Magic, uh, they, we're starting to see a changing of the guard a little bit. Uh, Luka is starting to turn into one of the most dominant players in this new generation. So now Ty, Weasel of the Week. I'm just going to pick the whole Philadelphia Eagles team. Oh, they were they were so bad. I can't believe they lost to the Dolphins. I was listening to the game on the radio. Merrill Reese, he just seems so disappointed. And you can't blame him because like, yeah. there was such a bad showing. Uh, he, he was like, he was mad. He was mad at them. Uh, and, you know, rightfully so. It, tough loss. Who, who knows how the rest of this season will go. Uh you're it's right. going to come down to the Cowboys game, most likely, but maybe they mess around and lose to one of these bad teams. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, another honorable mention for uh, Good Apple, whole Flyers team last night, just completely dominating. Yeah, for sure. But on uh, my Weasel of the Week is whoever voted Carmelo Anthony for NBA Player of the Week on a week where Harden averaged almost 50 and Luka averaged nearly 40. Why, why do you give it to Carmelo? I know Melo is making a comeback. But he's only averaging 20. He's aver- he only averaged 20 a night that past week. Come on, man. Classic NFL segment on ESPN. Come on, man. Got to do better than that. But Ty, anything else you have to say before we wrap this up? Final show? No, I think I'm good. Got ever- got all the takes out. It's been it's been a good show. I've enjoyed doing it. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, obviously, if you want to do something down the road, more than welcome to. But that concludes today's final show and top 25 show with Swoop Radio with Josh and Ty. The podcast will be out tomorrow if you missed it. We have a, we had a lot to talk about. But um, I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Be safe out there. And this is Josh and Ty signing off. Swoop. Swoop. <laughs>